special message in these songs. Father Lord, I thank you, Lord, for a special message <coughs> our Gideon brother and sister here this morning, God. I thank you, Lord, for how you're doing just a perfect work, Lord, in all of our lives. None of us in this place have arrived yet. But there's coming a day when we will arrive. And when that day comes, Father, my prayer is that you find us faithful. My prayer is that you find us faithful like we've never been faithful before. I pray, God, that when you come, you find us being first and foremost, being in Christ, but also doing, Lord, what you called us and commanded us to do. Lord, I thank you. Time is so short for each and every one of us. And Lord, we don't know how short it is. I think about Sister Helen. I found out it's in hospice, in hospice yesterday. Sister Helen, you're 90. And Lord, in that, I know without a doubt in my heart and mind she's ready for that great transition. Praise the Lord. And Lord, I thank you for her life. I thank you for her love for you, Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. Lord, we see so many come and go. And so, Lord, we're not, none of us are promised tomorrow. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to be mindful. That eternity is just a heartbeat away for all of us. Father, we give you praise and glory. Touch Sister Helen, Lord, and bring comfort and peace in her soul and heart. Lord, just speak to her the sweet whispers of your precious word. May your breath, Lord, fall upon her life and touch her. Lord, touch all the folks who are struggling with health lives. You would each and every one of them. Breathe on them, Lord Jesus. May your word richly dwell in their hearts and give them such confidence, Lord, to know that all of us in Christ are more than confident by Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our coming together this morning. I praise you for your word this morning. For it's in Jesus' most holy and precious name. And all God's children said what? Amen. 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 Not too comfortable. <laughs> should be comfortable. There was a father that was dying. And he had his family come around. He only had a few minutes left to live. He had four children. He said, good night, John. He said, good night, Butch. He said, good night, Betty. And then he said, goodbye, Ralph. And Ralph said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. You said good night to my siblings, but you said goodbye to me. <coughs> the father told his son, because the other three children have accepted Jesus, I will see them again in glory. Amen. But because you have not, I will never see you again. Makes me wonder, what that young man felt right at that moment. We have some of our own people right here who have passed on and said the same, very same thing to those with their families. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you think about your own death? Some of us in here probably do more so than we used to, right? Yeah. How about when you were 20 years old? Did you think about your death? No. No, not too much. But as we grow older, we grow wiser, right? And we know time is drawing very short for any one of us. Amen. Some of us are in the fifth quarter, which in football doesn't really exist, right? Right? And I praise the Lord, you know? We need to talk about death. So today, you know, most Americans don't talk about death. They don't want to entertain it. 
You know, three out of four Americans either believe in heaven or hell. Three out of four Americans either believe in heaven or hell. That's 75% right there. But here's the thing, 66%, there are 66% who believe in heaven and hell. In both, right? And this is really interesting because those three out of four people who believe in heaven or hell, listen, 82% of them think they are going to heaven. <laughs> right? It's kind of funny, isn't it? It is really sad. Only 2% believe they would end up in hell. 2%. Should we talk about death? Why not talk about death? Well, some will say, well, that's morbid, Brother Phil. It's too hard. Why waste time thinking about death when we are alive? Right? It's going to happen. Why dwell on it? Right? Let's not dwell on death. It's going to happen. Do we need to talk about death? Yes. We need to talk about it. Why? You know why? It might be our next answer. Amen. Got a brighter future. Amen, brother. That's right. It may be our next answer. If you know Christ Jesus, absolutely. The future is very bright. Yes. Amen. Chapter 20 is a chapter that's boiled down to it. It's the smallest common denominator for all of us. And as we talk about it today, it's when life is stripped down to its barest essentials, to its barest minimums, to its barest essentials. Listen. Here is what you end up with. You ready? ready. You might want to write this down on your notes. Here's the first fill-in. You live. You live. You tie. Exactly. And then you are raised to be evaluated. You are raised to be evaluated. Each and every one of us in here are going to be evaluated. This is life, folks, at its basics. Life at its basics. In chapter 20, we have two different pictures that we will see today in these next few moments. With two different groups of people here. There are two different groups of people here in chapter 20. And I want us to understand this this morning. So turn to chapter 20 in the book of Revelation. If you haven't already. You see, in verse 4, and we're going to read the scripture here in a minute, but in verse 4, number one, said, we see souls beheaded that live and reign for a thousand years. These are the people that come out of the great tribulation, the seven years. <coughs> These souls were raised, and they are rewarded. Amen? And then if you were to skip down to verse 11, it's a different group of people there all together. Totally different group of people. They're sort of the same at the end because there's a commonality between both groups of people. At the, at the end of the thousand year reign, they come forth resurrected. But the difference is the first group was raised for rewards, but the second group is raised for eternal judgment. The second group, these are all the unbelievers and all of them that died somehow. Because all died of for whatever, maybe it's a natural reason. Maybe it's a disaster. They all died somehow, some way. At some point in their life, they all died. We go through that. Could be heart, cancer, diabetes, you name it, murder, whatever. People die. The second group of these people, they live, they die, and they will be raised again to judgment. They will be resurrected. So let's read chapter 20 together, right? Um, this chapter, and what I'm going to read today, deals primarily with these two groups of people. And we'll talk about it. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received, listen, the mark on their forehead 
and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. For a thousand years. Folks, this happens at the beginning of the millennial reign when Jesus comes. Then verse 5, it talks about all the rest. He says the rest of the dead did not come to life until when? The thousand years were completed. So that all the unbelievers of the world are not coming to life again. They're not going to be resurrected until the end of that thousand year reign. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who is part of the first resurrection. Amen? Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for what? A thousand years. And when a thousand years are completed, it says Satan, remember last week we talked about him, will be released from his prison. Here we see death has no power over these. Raised to reign with Jesus Christ. Now let me remind you, where are we? Huh? We're in the church, but where are we at this point in time in the scriptures? Are we with Jesus? Amen. We are raptured. Before the tribulation, before the seven years of tribulation starts, you and I are raptured. We've been studying about this for the last year, right? We've been talking about this. You and I are already there. The people that he's talking about here are those that will be raised to life, resurrected at the beginning of the thousand year reigns who were martyrs during the tribulation period of time. And the many souls that will be saved. We don't know how many people are going to die and how they're going to die that are Christians. The ones that take the mark of the beast, most surely. You know, that's going to be a way to buy and sell and all that stuff. And they're not going to take the mark. And they don't take the mark, guess what? They're not going to get anything. And they're going to probably be martyred and beheaded for their not taking the mark. And then you got all the disasters that take place during those seven years globally that will kill many people. Many, much, uh, many of the population, right? So we're talking about the first resurrection of these believers, these martyrs, saints, right? And then it goes from verses 8 through 10, which I am skipping today. It's where Satan is released, and then guess what? There's going to be another great rebellion take place one last final time of great rebellion. And final last one takes place. So but I want for today, I want you to go down to verse 11. And I want us to read it together. This is where verse 5 picks up verse 11. These are the people I talked about in verse 5. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was open. You might want to underscore the books in the book. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here the lost dead, small and great, were raised. The rich and the poor, it doesn't matter. Who it is, they are all unbelievers. Every one of them are unbelievers. Then, then there are some books open. And another book was opened. Verse 12, the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds or their works. Now we see this here at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. All lost people, great and small, will be raised, resurrected to life, and will be judged for what? For their deeds or works that they did on the earth. The Lord knows everything. You know that? He knows everything we've ever said. Everything we've ever done. In our past, present, and future. Right? He knows everything. He's sovereign God. He knows everything. Number one. This is what we see. We see in two groups a common experience. There's a common experience in these two groups of people. 
Everyone of both groups lives. Think about that. Amen. Everyone lives. Everyone lives. Everyone's going to live. Death, when we die here, it's not final. Everyone lives. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost. But these two groups live very different lives. Let's look at the first group. Verse 4 says about the first group. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for what? How many years? A thousand years. This is a group of people who received a resurrection up front, at the beginning of the thousand year reign, in the body who lived and reigned with Jesus. The Bible says in verse 5, though, that the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection, it says. And verse 5 is explaining, listen, the beginning of verse 11. So the rest of the dead do not live again until the end of the thousand years. Both of these groups, however, share common things. They both had physical lives, number one. They both had physical lives. They both experienced physical death. Uh, I ain't talking about lives. There's some exceptions. All right? There's physical death. Also, both are followed by a physical resurrection. Those are the three primary things. So now I want us to look at the word life. When we say the word life in English, it means life. I'm alive. You're alive. We're all alive. Life is good, right? We all look at it in one perspective, basically. But in the Greek language, which is where our New Testament is written, it holds three different meanings in the Bible when we read the Bible. And it's important for us to understand that. In fact, this is important for you to understand that the Bible in the New Testament is written in Greek. And it's a very descriptive language. And so a lot of times when it describes a word, it might describe it in many different ways, like the word love. There's a copy love, sexual love, eros love, erotic love, right? There's, there's all kinds of sexual love. There's brotherly love, phileo love. There's all kinds of different meanings for these different words. So when you study your word, make sure you look at the intent of some of these key words and make sure you understand the context of, of, of the way it's being put in the scriptures for you to understand. So you get the correct context out of it. So the word life, and I want you to write this in. The first word life I have in the Greek is called is bios, B-I-O-S. It is where we get the term biology from. It references biological, physical life focused on the externals, right? You're a living being. You're li you live. You can touch your skin, right? You're alive. You're not dead. You're alive. And listen, here's the thing. Most people spend all their money on this. I want you to think about that for a minute. Most people spend all their money on this, on this kind of life, right? How do I look? Right? Most people, that's what they do, right? How do I look? Sometimes they're worried about the weight. Worried about the hair. Right? Worried about the hair, their face, relationships, job, you name it. We'll spend a lot of time looking at this in our life. Amen? In fact, Luke 8, 14 uh, gives a description of Bibles here. It says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Life is external, physical. The second, uh, the second definition of life in the Greek we're going to look at is suche, P-S-U-C-H-E. This is like our psyche, or is it, is it, is it psycho, it's where the term psychological comes from. Psychology, it's where it comes from this. The suche refers to the psychological life of the human soul. In other words, in you, it's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. That term life means your mind, it's just who you are. It's your personality, right? It's like Brother Harvey sitting out there. There's not another soul that is just like Brother Mark. Amen. He said, Hallelujah, the good way. Right? I got you, sister. I want you to think about it for a minute. It's who you are, Marlon. There's nobody like you. Nobody. You're unique. You're a one of a kind. You're a treasure. 
His will must be fleshed out in your life. It's a daily occurrence for you to do that. Yes, save positionally, yeah, once time, one time for all time. But every single day, you've got to die to yourself and follow Jesus. Amen. See, in John 3, 5, he said, True, trust in you, unless one is born of water spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is Zoe, it's eternal life. So, my question, I have, I have a question where I know all of you out there have physical life. Uh, yes. I see you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about your dead people, right? <laughs> or am I? Well, ouch. Mm. You got to think about that. Are you alive in Christ? Does Jesus know you? Do you know Jesus personally? Pray everybody in your notes. How about your mental, the psyche, the, the suche? Do you have peace in your life right now? If do you have peace rooted in your life? Not your peace, but his peace in your life. Can you honestly say you have peace in your life? Listen, folks, everyone lives. Amen? But the question is, where will you live when you die? Which brings me to number two. New life requires a new birth. Everyone dies. Number two, everyone dies. Amen? Yeah. 394 times in the Bible talks about death. Talks about a lot. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1, 2, this is part of the wisdom books of the Old Testament Solomon wrote. Wonderful, wonderful words of wisdom scripture that Solomon didn't always follow. The Lord. But listen to what he said. He said here in verse 1 and 2. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. There is a time to give birth, and there's a time to what? Die. Die. Listen, the odds are in your favor that you are going to die. Amen. What good odds is that, right? One out of one die, right? Two people die every second. Did you know that? 102 people die every minute. 6,036 people die every hour. And listen, in cities that are so large, they're becoming, listen, when people are dying, they become the cities, the big major metropolis cities are becoming so large, they don't even have enough cemetery space to bury all the people who die. So we'll probably see mandatory cremation eventually. Something to think about. Some people, some people believe it or, or they don't, they deny death. You remember people that deny death? I'm not gonna die. I'm invincible. Some of you might have felt that way when you were 20. Think about the battle of aging, right? The battle of aging, amen? amen. Trying to deny death. Listen, it's coming. Not, not for some, but for all. If Jesus is a terrorist, right? It's coming. How do we try to defy aging? <laughs> Talked about this morning. Brother West was letting me know, talking about plastic surgery this morning. Not that he's going to get it, but he's been talking about it. I said, I'm going to talk about that this morning. Plastic surgery, right? People stretch their skin, right? Cut it away, stretch it back, right? And then they're going to get that little flat face. They get rid of what? Wrinkles. They get rid of wrinkles, right? And what doesn't make sense to me is that they turn around and they take this Botox and they blow up their lips. So they're taking away skin, they're tightening up, stretching it back, and then they're taking needles and blowing up their lips and stuff. To... And you can tell too when they did one of them. think they're getting away from so real. They got these voluptuous lips, right? They're blown up. They're not. They don't look right. They don't look right. Look right. It's amazing what we will do to try to 
denied aging or denied death. How about cryogenics? You ever heard of that? Did Disney do that? Is that something that Disney did? Somebody remember Ted Williams. Cryogenics, where people get a disease and they're very wealthy, so they say, freeze me. <laughs> find a cure, bring it back to life. And cure me. Possibly to find a cure so they can live some more. I don't, you know. But it's true. Look what people do. Some people believe they are immortal. Can't kill me. Can't kill me. Like the saying goes, there are two things that are inevitable, right? Death. <laughs> right. Amen. But listen, death gets worse when you are not prepared for it. When you're not prepared to meet Jesus, your creator, amen, you must be ready. Hebrews 9.27 says, And inasmuch as it appointed for men to die once, and then after this comes what? The judgment. Listen, folks, when you die, it's not over. It is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. In Luke chapter 16, verses 23 through 31, y'all remember the story of the rich man of Lazarus? Let's just read this. Let this sink into your heart this morning, spirit. It says, when, it says in Hades, listen, the beggar lifted up his eyes, being in I mean, uh, the rich man lifted up his eyes. He's in Hades, right? He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham a far way off, and Lazarus in his bosom. That, that was the beggar, Lazarus, in his bosom, right? And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and said, Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Who is speaking here? Who is speaking here? The rich man. Who is speaking in this scripture? Jesus. The wealthy man. The Jesus. Jesus is speaking, telling the story, right? Is Jesus not telling the story? From his own lips of a Savior, of the sovereign God of the universe, he is telling the story to his people. So, so here's your answer for what happens to you when you die without Christ. Now, but Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. Verse 27, he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, and probably the preachers and the teachers, if they don't listen, right? They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. And we see the evidence of that today. Who is risen from the dead? Jesus. If people deny his existence. Listen, every person lives somewhere. The question is where? There was a man who got in a terrible car accident. And he was running down a car accident. He ran into a gas station and ran into a pole. It was a pole with a sign on it, and he hit it so hard, uh, hit it so hard that one, it knocked him out. But number two, it was a Shell gas station, and the letter S fell off of the shell. And when he came to, guess what he saw? Hell, right? Think about that for a minute. Hell's open 24-7, right? Listen, more than 6,000 people die every hour around the world. Every hour, 6,000 people are dying. I wonder how many of those go to heaven. See, we talk about the new birth, 
And that number two, everyone dies, right? Number three, everyone rises. If you don't get nothing else out of this message today, you're going to live again. But the great and the small, the saved and the lost, it just depends on where you're going to live again. See, first we have the resurrection of the just, those tribulation saints we talked about. That first group, right? Jesus said, everyone will rise to life or the second group, condemnation, right? So why does everyone rise or is resurrected, do you reckon? Why does everyone have to be resurrected? There is a reason for all to be resurrected. Ready to hear what it is? Number one, to reverse the effects of sin in the world. To reverse the effects of sin in the world. Our old bodies are doing what? They are decaying, right? Which is why we try to do plastic surgery and blow our lips up and all that stuff, right? They're decaying every day. You cannot stop it. That's right. You cannot stop it. So the, uh, to reverse the effects of sin in the world. Number two, to renew the physical earth with a renewed physical body. Jesus comes back a thousand year reign. He'll set up. He's going to make everything new. He's going to make, bring it brand new. So we're going to be resurrected. Number three, the new heaven and new earth. This eternal state requires what? An eternal body. Forever. No matter where you're at. So everyone rises. The second one I'm talking about is, is, is we have the resurrection to condemnation, the second group. The resurrection of the unbeliever. Verse 11 said, Then I saw a great white throne, and on him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. This is the most serious scheme in all of the Bible. Think about it. There will be no debate when this happens. Think about this. When you stand before the Lord unbeliever, there will be no debate. There will be no lawyer. You've been watching that trial, haven't you? There will be no jury. There will be no discussion at this time. None. There will be resurrected bodies for what? Eternal punishment. And I don't even like talking about this but the Bible teaches us this. And we need to hear it. Amen? Amen? The torment will be real and we must now try and keep people from it. And, the only one, and we can't keep people from it, but we can sure help them not go there when we tell them about what Jesus did for them. For us. We tell people what Jesus did for us. Listen. God will reach down and touch a person's heart. He will send you to places where people need to hear the gospel. The torment will be real. There's a tombstone, a tombstone that said, it, it had an inscription on it, said, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. That's not true. Right? Everyone dies and goes somewhere, amen? To heaven or to what? The lake that burns with fire or brimstone, the lake of fire. And your body will feel it forever and ever and ever. You're going to one place or another. Listen, it's going to be shock. It's going to shock people, frightfully so. It's going to shock people who attend this judgment. Matthew 7, 21, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I wouldn't even want to witness this, do you? Who is going to be there? I've met people who say they look forward to hell. You ever met people like that? Yep. I've met people like that. Who was the guy that was the president of TBS? I heard him say one time, it used to be years ago, on video. He's, he's looked forward to going to hell. All his friends are. So I can party with him. 
big, there's no more governments. Your friends might be there, but there's no reason for any any of you to go there, any of us to go there, right? Listen, Satan will be the chief victim. He's not going to rule and reign. He's going to be the chief victim in that. No party. See, everyone lives, everyone dies, and everyone arises. So here's a question. Why are the lost people judged by their works? Why are the lost people judged by their works? Let me tell you why. Because they would not let God judge them by Jesus' work on the cross. That's why they're judged by the works. They have nothing else. Verse 12, when I saw the dead and great and small standing before the throne, and it says, and books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged and the things which were written in, in, in the books according to their deeds. Scripture says books. Notice that? Plural. Notice that? That kind of caught my attention this week. But then look, what we open is, but then it's, that's the record for the unbelievers. But every idle word that you said, every action of sin you ever committed, it's going to be written down. Everyone lives, dies, and rises. But then, then there's this other book, the book Singular. The book of life is for the loyal citizens. Think about this for a minute. That same scripture in Matthew that I read, that I just read just a minute ago, listen, it also talks about the, the way to everlasting life is a narrow way. It's a narrow road. It's a narrow gate. But the, but the way at least to everlasting destruction is a broad gate, a broad road, a broad. Listen, and many people are going to find destruction on that broad road. Books is a lot of books. There's a lot of dead, unbelieving people on it that are not going to go straight to the lake of fire. The book of life is a book. Let that sink in just a little bit. Hmm. Listen, the lost, they will be standing as if the judge would say, prisoner arise and approach the bench. Hebrews 10, 30, 31 says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That is that fearful event right here, what we're talking about. It's a fearful event. Unbelievers would tell me, well, pastor, I do my best. I'm a good person. I don't hurt anyone. I go to church. I make peace with God. Now, I was what does that mean? Somebody ever tell you that? I make peace. I think I make peace with God. What does that mean? When you ask them, they can't tell you what that means. Well, he and I have an understanding. No, you don't. There's only one understanding. We're all guilty sinners that deserve heaven. And we need a Savior, Jesus, to take his blood and cleanse us from all, all of our unrighteousness, right? There's only one way. You gotta go through the shed blood of a Savior who died for you and for me. He did all the work. I praise the Lord. He did all the work. None of us have to do it. Listen, all we have to do is believe, submit. And listen, you can tell if you believe or not by the way you conduct your life after you're saved. It really bothers me about people who don't want to be with other, other God's people. It makes me think about that. Why do you want to be alone? God didn't create anybody to be a long ranger. He created all of us for community to be here. Amen. That's why he created us, to be here together. Are we perfect? No. Do we get on each other's nerves? Yes. Amen. Amen. Right? Sometimes. But we're the family of God. I'm not going to excommunicate my family because my brother did something to me. Might not talk to him for a while, let time kind of get over. But, but as a Christian, I can't even do that. I had to go to him and make peace and make it right. Whether it's my fault or not, whether it's my fault or not, if there's a problem with somebody, you go to him and you make it right. That's the Word of God. That's what God teaches us. We don't give any opportunity for the devil to conquer and divide and put wedges in our lives so that we would disperse and not be a church or body anymore. And that's impossible because we're the body of Christ. We are still to the day he calls us home. We're family. If you don't like me, you better get used to me in heaven. Or in heaven right? It's true. 
they're not going to heaven. They're not going to go. I mean, listen, if they don't want to come and be responsible Christian believers in God's house, following God's word, doing what God says, he said to not forsake the assembling of yourself together. He said that for a reason. We need each other. All our faults and failures and flaws and all that, we need each other. Why? Because I've got Jesus in me. And Roger's got Jesus in him. And Minnie's got Jesus in him. And Pat, listen, and Jesus is in those who are saved. Jesus in you. We need each other. And we work better together than we do separated. How do you reach the world when you're separated? We've got to be together. That's why Easter Saturday is going to be so important for us as a church body. To be here. Whether we pray or not to give candy to kids. Whatever we do. We share the love of Jesus. Hmm. There are two religions in the world. Let me write this down if I finish there are two religions. There's all kinds of religions. All kinds of isms. No, no, no. There's only two religions in the world. And you can mark it now. It's true. Two religions in the world. Number one, there's human achievement. Human achievement is what? It's works, works, works. I'm going to do better. I'm going to get there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work it. I'm going to work it. I'm going to work it. You can't. That's, that's a religion all by itself. Work this, do this, do that. Meet this quota, meet this, do that. No, it's not about doing it. It's about being, which is number two. It talks about divine accomplishment. And that divine accomplishment, you had nothing to do with it ever. Amen. It's not about you. It's about who? It's about Jesus. The divine accomplishment only comes from Jesus Christ. And his work on the cross. Romans 10, 6 through 11 says, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? Question. The word is near you, it's in your mouth, and in your heart, that is the word of faith which, are, which we are preaching today, right? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says what? You might be saved. He says, you will be saved. You shall be saved. That's, a, that's, that's an affirmation. That's an absolute. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Not your right, his righteousness. His blood applied your life. His righteousness applied your And with the mouth, confession, resulting in salvation. And that word mouth, man, you look at the Greek, it's like a gash in your belly. If I was to cut my belly, what would come out? Involuntarily, all my guts would come out. Involuntarily, it would just come out. Your confession ought to come out that way to the Lord. Confession should come out. Confess me about Jesus as Lord. Confess what? Jesus as Lord. That's so important. Jesus must be Lord. All preachers say, if Jesus ain't Lord of all, He's not Lord at all, right? So think about that. He needs to be Lord of all. But with the heart of person believes, Lord Christ said, with the mouth confession on salvation, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Believers are saved because they believe in Jesus' death on the cross. For the forgiveness of their sin. Think about that. You've got to first admit that you're a sinner. That's sometimes in the Christian circles we miss that. There needs to be a conviction of sin in an individual's life before they can realize they need to be saved. And we've got to let them know Jesus wants to save you, but you've got to realize you're a sinner and you need Jesus to be your Savior because sin is not good. There's not a person here who has a total life. There's not a person here who hasn't done something wrong, is not her mom or dad, lusted after somebody. There's not a person in here that can tell me they've never sinned in their entire life. But you got to own up to your sin, whatever that is. And I'm sure it's many. By the age of stage of everybody in here, there's a lot of sin that's been in this room. Amen? Amen. Did Jesus forgive part of it? He gave all of it. Right? He forgave all of it. From beginning to end, 
trust in Jesus who saves you with his blood and he flowed from Calvary's cross and he gave it for you and he gave it for me. You can't ever work to be saved. In fact, verse 12, Revelation 20 says, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their works. Works never get you into heaven. By the free gift of God's grace. Grace through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the free gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should ever boast of works. Ephesians 2 8 is plain as the nose on my face. Be saved today. Today is the acceptable day of the Lord. Don't put it off any longer. Know that you know in your knower. Savior, that today they say, Jesus, I believe you died for 